I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it's Easter. It's Easter. I love Easter. Uh, it has actually become, and I mean this genuinely, one of my favorite holidays. Our family doesn't do a lot of specific things on holidays. You might be like, what does the preacher do on Easter? Like, like our plan on Easter is kind of like, uh, well, it's busy every other day of the year. So I think to honor God, we're going to chill. <laughs> we're going to Sabbath the heck out. And so we're just chilling. That's what we do on Easter. But um, I'll be honest, um, as much as it means to me today and the story of Jesus, I'm going to get into that in just a minute, it hasn't always been that way for me. I grew up in the church. Uh, my dad actually was a preacher. I grew up my whole life saying, I'm never going to be a preacher. I'm never going to do this. And then God was like, yeah, you just wait and see. And, uh, but, you know, it wasn't that meaningful to me, if I'm honest. I don't know that I thought a lot about the spiritual implications of the Easter story. I know that Easter meant one thing. You know what it meant? Easter basket. That's what it meant, especially in my youngest age. Easter basket, like there was Easter baskets all over the place. My mom did a cool thing. There was an Easter basket every year. She would like hide it somewhere in the house. And me and my brother would play this hide and seek game on Sunday morning before church. Uh, and you know, we would do that. And they would do it. But my grandma, my grandma, we call her Nanny. Nanny did the best Easter baskets. In fact, her Easter basket was like one of the things I look forward to every year. Now, I, this was the 80s. So I don't know if, they, if you still do this. I see them like in like Walgreens or something. But you know the big Easter basket with the big like cellophane wrapper and like, all, and like the plastic grass inside? And then I think she would go down the aisle and buy one bag of every type of candy and just dump it in there. It was just full of candy. And it was okay. It was probably like the cheapest candy they had at whatever like gas station they had in her small hometown. But th that's not what I was excited about. There was often a uh, stuffed animal in there, too, because I was big on stuffed animals, I guess. The thing I was excited about, though, was the toy. And for years, look, if you're at a certain age, you know this. Let me put him up there. Master of the universe, He-Man himself. He-Man! The He-Man action figures were what was up when I was a kid. And so every year I knew that Nanny was going to get me a new He-Man action figure. Now they kind of went out of vogue and then eventually like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles roll in there. I was like on the front end of that fad. And then as I became a teenager, it was just like a straight up check. Just like check. And it got to the point where like, you know, when you get older, you don't go see your grandparents as much. Sometimes at Christmas... She would give me my Easter basket. <laughs> She'd be like, hey, Merry Easter. And, you know, and I'd be a check inside. Uh, rest your soul, Nanny. I miss you so much. But man, Easter to me was about the gift. It was about the presence. It's fun. It's spring. And let's be honest, that's understandable. Because as a kid, and I think maybe this might be true even for you today, even sometimes on a daily for me, like the spiritual stuff is somewhat abstract. You follow that? Like, it's like, I don't know how this impacts my life right now, so I don't know how much I should really care. But there's a He-Man action figure inside. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. And I think it's a reality to us that the things we read in the Bible or hear about, like in a sermon like this, often become so abstract that they don't hit us. And so today we're starting a brand new teaching series that I, I hope it can really mean something. We're calling it From Paper to Person. Because when you look at the stories in the Bible— and, you know, this isn't paper, it's my iPad, but I've typed some things up. Like when something's typed up or you read about it online, like sometimes it doesn't hit us that hard because it's just a story. And that's understandable because it's a little bit abstract. I remember uh, in high school, I was in geometry class, and I remember, I don't know what we were doing. We were learning some, uh, you know, uh, equation for probably like finding the volume of an irregular object. I don't know. It was like just something, and I really didn't care, and like I was feeling like I was going to be able to chucklehead. So I raised my hand, and asked the teacher, said, oh, yeah, 
when am I ever going to use this at Food Lion? <laughs> and uh, I remember the class laughed, and I laughed, and the teacher didn't laugh. Uh, I think I was probably rude. And uh, I do remember what she did, though. She sent me in the hallway, which if you get sent in the hallway, you know you did it wrong. And so, <laughs> here's the thing. As a high school student, I looked at geometry, and I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Now, here's the thing. If you know me well now, you know that like, I work with my hands a lot. Geometry is like very relevant to real life. No one explained it to me that way when I was in high school. I am in uh, the woods last weekend with a group of Boy Scouts, and we're putting up a shelter. We had to dig these footers and fill it with concrete, and we had to get these posts squared up. And so we're measuring things, and and I was like, oh, yeah, guys, you know how to make sure your your square is square, right? And they're like, well, get a protractor. Like, no, 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 you can just use a a tape measure. And I'm explaining, I'm like, you learned this in geometry class, right? And they were like, uh, no. And I'm like, you did, you did. And I started talking about triangles and squares. Like, no. So I teach them. I'm explaining to them how, because I'm all wise and old and smart now. And they're like, yeah, can we play football now? Like, they didn't care. Um, but I, it came full circle for me. I realized that things I learned in school do apply in real life. But when you don't see the connection, when it doesn't go from paper to person, it's too abstract. It gets lost. And so over the course of the series, what I hope to do is to dive into a bunch of stories about the life of Jesus. And take the life of Jesus from paper to person because the transformation that can happen in our lives is real. It's flesh and blood. It's concrete. It's not abstract. And I see it as I look out in the audience right now, and I know a lot of you see it every day in your lives as you wake up and as you live and as you go to sleep. Um, And so I couldn't think of a better place to start this paper to person conversation than to talk about the most important story, the resurrection. It is Resurrection Sunday. I very intentionally, for the last couple of days, when I talk about Easter, I've tried to make sure that anytime I said Easter, I also said Resurrection Sunday. Because Easter has become an American holiday. Nothing wrong with it. I'm happy about it. I, like, I love your pastel clothes. They're fantastic. Real men wear pink. All that, okay? But it's not just a holiday. It's not just Easter baskets and Easter egg hunts and candy, you know, chocolate uh, rabbits. And all. It's the Resurrection Sunday. And so I want to get into that today because either you know it already and you've heard it before and you need to be reminded or this is kind of the first time maybe I can open your eyes just a little bit so you can see. And to get there, I want to look in Scripture, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible today, grab it. We'll be in the New Testament, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll tell you, if you don't have a Bible with you today, it'll be on the screen behind me. Feel free to look it up on your phone. Or as always, uh, one of you won a free Bible today, so you can try that out maybe if you already got it. You're welcome to go get it. Emily's back there with it. Uh, We have Bibles that we give away every week by the door over here in this kind of gray bookshelf thing. So if you want to go over there and grab a Bible, either now or later, feel free. You can keep it if you need it or put it back when you're done. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A little bit of context. Okay, in 1 Corinthians, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians who lived in Corinth. It's kind of modern-day Greece, okay? And so he writes to the city of Corinth, and there's a lot of craziness that happens in Corinth. It's a very uh, worldly city, okay? They're dealing with a lot of craziness. And a little bit of what Paul and the other apostles were teaching about Jesus was a bit abstract, I mean, a lot of these people weren't there when Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of people didn't get the opportunity to do various things and see him in Jerusalem. It was, this is a little bit removed from the actions of the Gospels, which is the stories about Jesus. And so as he writes these letters, he's kind of doing what we need to do today. Just be reminded of the concreteness of it. So he's going to just break down the resurrection of Jesus and what it means to us today. And let's start. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. 
So he starts out, and I want to give us a word today that we can unpack. The word is gospel. Gospel. It's a, it's, it comes from a Greek word. What it means is good news. But it's become the code word for Christianity. That it's the summary of the whole story of Jesus. Okay? So the story of Jesus is this. God exists. He loves us. So he came into the world as a human being named Jesus. That man, Jesus, lived a perfect life. We are imperfect. Our sin and imperfection keep us separated from the presence of God. But the perfection of Jesus provided an avenue that we could return to that perfection of God. So he gives us life execution on a Roman cross that's not the gospel that's just a part of it he goes into the grave for three days but on the third day he rises from the grave by his own power the power of God's Holy Spirit which was his soul his spirit within him and the story goes anyone who believes that and lives to follow Jesus will receive that same resurrection that eternal life the chance to be reunited with God. Okay, so that's the story. That's the gospel. And Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I first preached to you, the one that you stand on, the one by which you are saved. And if you believe it, you're good. And if you're not believing it, then you're wasting your time. So maybe today, you're a person who needs to be reminded of the gospel you first heard. I think I was nine years old when I first understood it. Then I was 18 when I understood it for real. And then my kids were born, and I understood it even better. And then I spent some time mentoring younger people, and I started to understand it even better. And then I woke up this morning and understood it even better. Maybe you need to be reminded of the gospel you first learned. Or maybe for the first time you need to hear it. Will you open your ears today, open your heart, and ask yourself, like, why is Easter such a big deal? Why do these Christians go bonkers in March or April every year? Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I first preached to you. And so the rest of the chapter is a reminder of what it's all about. Okay, so we're going to pick up. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15 still, chapter 3. He says, so for what I received, so this is the message that Paul learned. He learned it from Jesus. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. What's that message? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and it was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this first audience, uh, even though they were mainly uh, Jewish people, uh, even though they were in Corinth, sorry, they were in Corinth, they were, they were in a Greek place, they were mainly Jewish people. And so one of the most important things to the Jewish culture, especially at this time, was their scriptures. So when Paul reminds them of the gospel, he says, listen, I want to tell you, this isn't some crazy, fantastical thing that we made up. This is from your scriptures. The Jewish people will talk about how they love the scriptures. They love God's word. They, it's a sweet taste on their lips. It's a lamp to their feet. It's a light to their path. They love the scriptures. He said, listen, by the way, you and your ancestors have loved your scriptures, and I want to remind you that this Jesus story was all predicted in your scriptures, that it happened as it said it would, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose, all according to the scripture. And so this, is, again, is a great reminder. If you kind of already heard that, if you already kind of knew it, and if you value the Bible, Hundreds of years before these events happened, they were all predicted, and, 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 and they happened just as they were told. And it's amazing. Or maybe if you didn't know, it's, uh, it's intriguing. I want to let you know something. You should research this. It's incredible. The number of references in Old Testament scripture, this is before Jesus came into the world and was born, that talk about uh, this man of God or this Messiah figure or all these different phrases that are used for him, everything from where he was going to be born and how he was going to live, down to last week, uh, traditionally we call that Palm Sunday, and there's this, this image of a king riding in on a donkey and, and uh, the way it can be applied to Jesus. It's just incredible. 
So it's all there. So Paul says, I want to remind you, and just as a reminder, I'm going to give you a little bit of evidence, okay? Something for you to chew on, which is your scripture. Now, here's the thing. We are more like the Corinthians than we are like the Jewish Corinthians. They were Greek. I don't know if you know this, but you are Greek. Uh, there are two main ways of thinking. There's Eastern and there's Western, okay? Uh, Eastern thinkers, you think, you think like the whole Eastern side of the globe, you know, uh, China and everything, and the Middle East and all that kind of stuff. That's Eastern thinking. It's going to be more, uh, more, you know, spiritual, more ethereal, more symbolic, stuff like that. But then there's Western thinking. That's called Greek thinking. Congratulations, you're a Greek thinker. We don't want just like stories from old ancient books. No, no, no. I want evidence. I want concrete. I don't want abstract. I don't want paper. I want person. Well, you know one of the greatest evidences you can submit in a court of law? An eyewitness account. So Paul says, let me give you some more to remember the gospel that I taught you about. And he talks about, starting in verse 5, these eyewitness accounts that confirm the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 5 says that he appeared to Cephas. We talked about Cephas for a little bit a couple weeks ago. The name you know him most by is Peter. This is Simon Peter, also known as Cephas. And then to the 12. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living today. And though some have fallen asleep, they've died since then. But some of them are, a lot of them are still alive, verse 7. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, as to one abnormally born. He takes a shot at himself because he's like, I was last in line, but it still counts. So what, what are we saying here? Well, we're saying Jesus died. That's the first thing we're saying. Jesus died, as according to Scripture, but it was well attested that he died. There are very few scholars and religious people from any walk of life that would say Jesus never lived and never died. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. If he lived, he died. Uh, I can tell you that because uh, that's what people do, okay? And it's been a long time. So if he lived, he died. Not only that, thousands of people bore, bore witness to that. Okay, so there's no question whether or not he lived or died. There's a question. People, people debated and questioned it, but it's, it's pretty well attested. But then after he died, something crazy happened that is harder to verify. He starts to show up to people. Now, he shows up to a couple individuals, but then he starts to show up to people in small groups, and then he starts to show up to people in groups of hundreds. Why? Because if I got up here and told you, listen, oh, rest in peace, Larry. We miss you. We were all at his funeral. You know, Larry showed up to me the other day in my kitchen. You'd all be like, hmm, what'd you put in your cereal? Was it, I don't think you're, like, no, people don't just show up after they die. But Jesus said, I want to leave no question in anyone's mind if I was here. He shows up at dinner parties. He shows up walking down the road with people. These are the last parts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can also see some of it in the book of Acts. You can see some of it in the book of Galatians as Paul talks about his own experience. So I encourage you to go dig into that stuff. This is your faith. This is your journey. You got to own it. I'd be glad to share more with you if you got questions. But over and over, this resurrection seems to happen, and then something even crazier happens. See, after Jesus got arrested and before he was crucified, uh, the apostles that were his closest followers, they scattered like roaches when the lights come on. Okay, these guys see Jesus get arrested. They see the trial happening. They predict that he's probably going to be executed because that's what was going to be happening for the char charges he was being faced with. And so what do they do? They hide. Even Peter, the strongest and boldest among them. We talked about him like a month or two ago. We told that story for a long time. They hide. But then what do they do? They come out of the shadows, out of their hiding, and start saying something. Hey, Jesus is alive. I saw him. I had a sandwich with him. He made me some fish on a fire on the beach. It was incredible. And these same people, why were they hiding? 
Well, Jesus was executed because of some uh, conflicts he'd had with the local government. These guys were guilty by association. They were his leading henchmen as far as the government was concerned. They had every reason to hide, every reason to go away, nothing to gain from saying, yeah, by the way, I saw him alive. Nothing to gain, not a thing. In fact, many of them, because they said that, you know what happened? They got arrested by the same people who arrested Jesus. But they weren't scared anymore. Why do you think that is? Real talk for me personally, this is one of the strongest evidences for believing that Jesus rose from the dead. There are others, stories, other historical accounts and stuff like that. But do you know of the original apostles who are still alive at the time of Jesus' resurrection? Every single one of them would end up dying a martyr's death, dying because they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Like, it makes sense when the first one dies. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe this was a little more serious than we thought. And then the second one is, I'm talking executed, not like they had like a heart attack because they ate a chili dog. No, like brutally executed by people who were against them. How many of your friends do you see die by the sword of an enemy before you're like, okay, guys, we got to stop. This is too much. But to a man, even John, who wrote the Gospel of John, they called him John the Elder later. He ends up, he's the last one alive. He gets exiled to an island called Patmos. He dies there, presumably of starvation. Why? Because he saw Jesus risen from the dead. So here's a pro tip, okay? (laughs) If you talk to someone who has by their own power risen from the dead, and then you watch them ascend into heaven, you should listen to them. And it begins to change the world. And it becomes the battle cry of the early church. The battle cry of the early church was basically this. Jesus brings resurrection life. And I want to make a distinction about what this means. Jesus brings resurrection life. Let's talk about that. Uh, they, the, the early church centered their whole life around the resurrection. The early church's main message was not, we have good preaching and great children's ministry. You'll have comfortable pews where we are. We, we support local uh, nonprofits and help with homelessness. Those are all great things that the church does today. But do you know what the primary message of the church was? Jesus rose from the dead, and we believe that. That was it. That's what they were getting arrested for. That's what they were being thrown in chains for. That's what they were being killed for. The resurrection, it was a big deal. Jews who became Christians quickly made their day of worship, not Saturday, which they called the Sabbath day, but Sunday. They still observed the Sabbath, the the faithful Jews did, but Sunday was their day of worshiping Jesus. Why? Because that was the day they believed he rose from the dead. And every time they gathered, they had a meal to celebrate it. We still do it to this day, every week at our church. We have communion, some traditions call it the Holy Eucharist, but this bread and this wine or this juice, whatever, It's not a celebration of a death. It's a reminder of a resurrection. It was central to who the early church was. It's central to who the church is today. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This was a big discussion in the early church, by the way. What this means, this is not like, don't think like Halloween and zombies and Dracula, like raised from the dead, like not like that. But it was more like, when you die, what happens to your consciousness? Like, that's one of the big, deep questions of life. Like, where, where do you go when you die? And what they believed, based on Jesus' resurrection and his teaching and some other things, was that there was an eternal awareness in the presence of God that was only accessible through Jesus. 
That's what they believed. So when you hear resurrection of life, that's what they're talking about. It's spiritual resurrection. It's saying, I was dead in my sins, and now I am raised to walk in newness of life spiritually. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But in verse 13, it says, so if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses to God. Like we're liars. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. When it comes to labeling ourselves today, it's like, I mean, it's like mind-numbing. I can't keep up with all the labels I'm supposed to keep up with everybody. And that's just me being honest and real. But with our faith, we get real sloppy about it and real wishy-washy. And it's just like, I just kind of want to like generically associate with a group of people. But here's the thing, guys. If, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then really the rest of the Christian faith, according to Paul, is like not... Yeah, it's good. It's good to be kind. It's good to be, what did we talk about earlier? Generosity. Like, that's all good. All those things are good. But you could do that in, like, Boy Scouts, okay? But the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of our eternal souls. Jesus' resurrection isn't just a footnote in world religions. It's the beating heart of our faith. And I want to challenge you to wrestle with that this week. What does that mean to you? What do you believe? What do you think? And the claim of Christianity uh, is that anyone who accepts, accepts Jesus will be entered into this life. The famous John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so here's the big question for today. I, I want to just lay all that out there. I think a lot of you have heard that before. Maybe you kind of knew it, like big or little bits of it, I don't know. And there's a group of you in here today who might not be fully aware of like, oh, wow, is that, is that what Christianity is? I just want to let you know, that is what Christianity is. That's at the heart of it. Since then, thousands of years of all kinds of development and evolution and organizational management and like crises of war and, and economics and divisions and denominations, like all oh, that's happened and it's been a hot mess. Okay, but at the core of it is that Jesus rose from the dead so that we could have new life. So here's the question. This is kind of a big question for, for us today. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? Why? And I guess I got to say, well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, honestly. Uh, so it's kind of like this. Um, my daughter, when she, uh, Savannah, when she was about one year old, something weird began to happen with her. She started getting sick a lot. She would just be sick, and it'd be all kinds of sick. Stomach sick, like throwing up sick, like sinus stuff sick. Sick where like uh, sometimes she just couldn't breathe. It was like a really bad asthma attack, and her little bitty tiny chest would kind of be like imploded. And as like young parents, we were just like, what in the world? <laughs> like, what are we doing? We're calling doctors. It was scary. It was scary. Now, now here's the thing. We, 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 we realized what it was. We started going to some doctors, and after a few doctors, we realized she had been uh, allergic to food she was eating. Yeah, we were feeding her poison, and that was great when we did that. Uh, and not just food, but like all food. I mean, pretty much. So she, we found out she had a gluten and soy and dairy allergies. If you don't know, that's like most foods that we eat, okay? If you buy food somewhere, it's got one of those three in it, okay? It's in there. Um, and so knowing this changed everything for us. It changed how we shopped. It changed how we cooked. Her, her favorite thing in the world was to show up, roll out of bed, and stretch, come into the bathroom, and get a big old sip, the bathroom, into the kitchen, straight into the kitchen, and get a big old sippy cup full of milk. 
she would just down a cup full of milk. I don't know if you've ever seen a drug addict go through withdrawals, okay? But she'd be like, yo, where that milk? And I'd be like, uh, you can't have milk. She's like, what? She'd lose her mind because she couldn't have milk. I'd be like, we have, we have milk. It's, it's called almond milk. And she's like, fool. And she like beat us up, threw me out a window one time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's just be real. It's almond milk is it's, it's, it's not milk. It's another thing, and you can sell it as milk, but we, you know, poor thing. She's working through this stuff. Now, here's the deal. Before this all happened, I did not know what gluten was. I'm not making a joke. I thought it was like a diet fad from Southern California, like yoga instructors did it. You know, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a gluten. That's not my people. I don't know about gluten. I don't know what that is. But then I'm like, oh, if you don't know, gluten is a protein found in pretty much any grain. Most grains have gluten in it, okay? And so it's like, it's in everything just about. Um, What's my point? Well, that's my point. Um, The point is this. Do you think before we found out about her allergies that it was a big deal? Gluten was a big deal. Dairy was a big deal. Soy was a big deal. No. No, I ate like a goat. I'm like, whatever I see in front of me, I eat that, Okay? After we found out about the allergies, was it a big deal? Yes. Is the resurrection of Jesus a big deal? I think it depends on how you understand how much it impacts your life. Because maybe not. Maybe the resurrection story for you is just like a story on paper. Maybe it's something that's like, you know, Easter, all the Christians get all excited about it. We wear our nice clothes. We go, there's azaleas. I think azaleas have something to do with Jesus and dogwood trees. Like that's something, it's just a religious thing. There's eggs and bunnies. I think they're connected somehow. I'm not sure. Like, and I don't mean to disparage our intelligence, but I think that it's a reality that like, if, if the resurrection of Jesus is just another story, David fought Goliath and Noah had an ark and Jesus rose from the dead and yeah, they all live happily ever after. Then no, it's not a big deal. But I'll tell you that the resurrection of Jesus has a direct impact on your soul on your life, immediate transformative power? Really? That begins to change things. The whole point of the resurrection of Jesus is that it is a pathway to resurrection for you and for me. That our lives are separated from God's presence because of sin and brokenness. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can be reunited with your creator It's not just a religious preference to check on the box when you're filling out a survey. It's the redemption of your soul. It's the reunion with your creator. And it's the opportunity to be restored to wholeness when we are broken and in pieces. It means something. It's powerful. There's a scripture I want to break down for you a little bit. We were in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 just a couple times here. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, the apostle Paul explains it a little bit differently. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Listen to that word, death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Baptism. Baptism is a beautiful visual that Jesus gives us. You've seen a baptism? You've probably heard me say this before. I try to say it at every baptism that I do, but let me remind you. When someone is baptized in water, I'm talking about immersed in water, this is how the early church did it, they are buried. It's a statement to say the old me is going to the grave. And then they arise like a resurrection to walk in new life. 
Like the institution, the moment of baptism, the church for centuries has argued about baptism. How much water do you need exactly and who can do it and what words have to be said? Does it have to be done in this body of water or this? And can the water be still or does it have to be moving water? Can it be in a pool? Does it have to be a natural body of water? Like I'm telling you, if you're wondering why there's so many denominations in the world, one of the reasons is because we can't agree about baptism. But can we just step back from all that and say, what a beautiful picture we get to be a part of. To be united with Christ First in death, like we talk about death and funerals aren't exciting. They're not, okay? We get, we get sad. I mean, I know a couple of you have been through recent losses in your life, and I'm sorry, uh, the brokenness that it feels, but like we have to talk about that because if you live, you're going to die. That's part of reality. And that's a part of the thing we go into in immersion and baptism, but then to raise again, that's not something you see at your everyday funeral. People don't stand up and walk out of caskets. No. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we are connected with him in a spiritual bond that says you too can stand up and walk in newness of life. If you haven't been baptized like this, can I just invite you? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, If you hear what I'm saying and it makes somewhat logical sense to you, God doesn't wait for us to understand everything before he redeems us. He doesn't wait for us to get all of our mess cleaned up before he cleans us up. He says, come with me with the faith that you have. I can work with that. I want to invite you today to join me in this resurrection life. Because here's the thing. As Christians, we're guilty sometimes. It depends on kind of what circles you talk in, you know. But we're guilty sometimes, and we talk about, like, the life, the eternal life. And we're like, eternal life begins, like, later. Like, probably after I'm, like, in my 80s, and I've been in a nursing home for a while, and then I go on and I die, then I can experience eternal life. That's not the eternal life that Jesus describes, The eternal life begins now. In fact, we talk about it all the time here. It's our job as believers when we have Christ in us to take pockets of heaven with us everywhere we go. Where two or more are gathered in his name, Scripture says he is there among us. We get to experience that life now. The resurrection gives way to new life. And so I want to give you that invitation today. Have you experienced that resurrection? I'm not asking have you experienced Ask Jesus to be part of your life. That's fantastic. Uh, and it's valid. It's a good thing. But when we look in Scripture and we see every single conversion experience in the book of Acts is followed almost immediately by a baptism. I want to ask you, have you been part of that? I know of a couple pools that I could get to real quick this afternoon if you wanted to have a baptism today. Come see me. Come see one of our elders. You met George and Brandon up here on stage. They'll be standing back there later. Just like, I'm going to stand up in a minute and be like, wait, stop. I want to do it. Like, we'll stop right now. There's a pool over here. I got a key to that room. Don't tell the lifeguard he's not there. But um, resurrection. Okay, we were in in Romans chapter 6, and let's wrap it up. Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Have you ever struggled with like just a darkness, whether it was an addiction, a brokenness, something from your past, the guilt, the dirtiness, a dirty secret that you just can't shake? The body ruled by sin might be done away with. That's the promise, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Look, is the resurrection a big deal? I don't know. Is being set free from slavery a big deal? It is. And the chokehold our sin can have on our life is palpable. But Jesus comes in and says, break those bonds. Join me in new life. The resurrection of Jesus is where God's grace meets our real life. 
And the transformation begins now. That's why Jesus told us not to worry about things. He said, I got it. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. You just make it one day at a time. Because we should plan wisely, but ultimately through the transformation of Jesus in your life, you can just have enough faith to get through today. That's all I need. That's why he told us to forgive in this life. You should be forgiving people. I know they cut you off and they're probably the worst driver ever, great turn signal, but don't be a jerk. How perfect do you think you are? Forgive and move on. Why? It's the presence of God in our life that says I need to imitate that and emulate that. It's why he teaches generosity, selflessness, humility, because putting others first is what Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2, you should read the whole chapter. Blow your mind. That he didn't consider equality with God something he should be holding on to, but instead he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took on the likeness of a man, became obedient even to death, death on a cross. So that anyone who believes in him will have new life. It's beautiful. Transformation. And you know where it begins? Resurrection. It's Resurrection Sunday. Um, I hope that that can go from paper to person for you over the next few weeks. And if you're here today, whatever level of journey you are on your faith, can I, can I ask you that? I'm, I'm pleading you this. I, I want to believe that what I'm about to say is 100% true. It's like at least 99% true. <laughs> that I don't care how many people we have in our services every Sunday. Like I do. Like it's, it means something, right? It means a lot. It means a whole lot. But what I really care about is that people are finding community with each other and more importantly with Jesus. Can I encourage you guys? You came. You're here. This is the biggest attendance we've had in a long time, okay? I'm just going to say it. And I know it's because a lot of us, like, can't pick the same Sunday to come to church, and so we have a, a reset holiday in April. That's fantastic. But can, if you're a person who's just like, I haven't been really in community. I haven't been growing in my faith. I haven't been taking these steps. I want you to know, like, it is your responsibility, but you don't have to do it by yourself. Can I encourage you to make this gathering a regular part of your schedule, like every week? And then find other ways to plug in with smaller groups, because resurrection is just the beginning. Transformation takes time. Transformation takes community. Transformation takes help and accountability. And only doing that will move it from paper to person for you. Enjoy Easter. Enjoy the eggs and the bunnies. I hope you have some ham and deviled eggs today. That was a favorite for me when I was a kid. I hope you get a He-Man toy. But most importantly, I hope you know resurrection and new life. I want to close with the last two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Happy Easter. Let's pray.